My guest today is Paul Austin, a pioneer in the field of psychedelics, particularly in the intersection of psychedelic cues, personal transformation, and professional success. In this episode, we focus on coaching and the new psychedelic paradigm. Paul is a return guest. He was previously on episode 122, where we explored psychedelics, intuition, and entrepreneurship. If you are curious about amplifying your impact and accelerating client transformation through ethical work with psychedelics, check out the Third Waves Coaching Certification Program. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. I've been diving into the description and it sounds so needed and so epic. If you'll listen to this before May 20th, I invite you to join the Third Waves Virtual Summit, Coaching and the New Psychedelic Paradigm. The tickets are $197, but because you're part of my community, I have an exclusive discount code for you. Use the code KSENIABRIEF to attend for free. So that's my full name, K-S-E-N-I-A-B-R-I-E-F. And I'm going to link to everything in the show notes on KSENIABRIEF.com and also in the description of wherever you're listening to this podcast. The summit is a co-created exploration of psychedelics and human potential in the context of a coaching container. This is truly a groundbreaking and revolutionary new territory for the coaching industry, and I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. The summit is an opportunity to come together and explore new, powerful avenues of training, human development, and multidisciplinary methods with psychedelic medicines in the context of coaching. Both the summit and the certification program have some epic leaders, teachers, and guides, and several of them have been guests on this podcast. You probably can't hear my heartbeat in this interview, but my heart was beating so fast. I was so tapped into the frequencies of excitement and resonance and a deep calling and a deep remembering. Psychedelics have played a key role in my life as well as business and creative expression in the world. And I've known deep inside of me for a while that I'm meant to explore this topic further. And this conversation was exactly that. Paul and I discussed psychedelics and coaching, shifting from the mentality of fixing a broken system and to creating a new one, leaving the industrial paradigm and instead exploring interconnectedness and a new way of being with the support of psychedelic medicines what the difference between psychedelic therapist or a clinician and a psychedelic coach and also a psychedelic guide is. Why it's important to start low and go slow if you are guided to work with psychedelics. The legality of psychedelics. We discuss how to safely source psychedelics and the topic of leading from the heart and the new paradigm of business as well as living in reciprocity with the earth. If you're called to share any of your takeaways from this conversation on social media, please tag me, Xenia.brief, as well as Paul. His handle is Paul Austin, the number three W. And his company is at Third Wave is here. This is my first episode recorded in my brand new setup. I have a totally new ergonomic desk with these soundproofing panels. And right now I'm actually recording it standing because it goes from sitting to standing. And I'm a little bit nervous because, you know, a whole new setup requires some dropping into the new space because it's inspired me to clear out my whole office and reorganize everything. I'm kind of a maximalist when it comes to cleaning up. But I'm just so excited about it. And I'll be sharing the new setup and why I chose what I chose on my TikTok and in my Instagram in the coming weeks. So if you've been on the market to upgrade your home office setup and truly make it a sanctuary that is nourishing to your mind, to your body, to your thinking, to your connection and creation, then stay tuned for that. And if you can't wait, I feel you. I'm going to drop the link in the show notes to the brand that I ended up going with for my desk setup. So you'll be able to find that alongside all other links in the show notes. And I also wanted to call out the show notes and give them a shout out because every single week when I release an episode, I put so much love into the show notes. There's 
quotes that you can share on your social media. There are all of the resources. If we're mentioning books or programs or any brands or products, every single episode has those thought through detailed show notes with everything that we discuss. So you can always find that on kseniabrief.com or in the little description box of whatever platform you're listening, whether that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And before we go into the conversation, one more quick announcement. If you've been here for a while, I love you. If you're new, I love you too. But especially to my OGs, if you've been wondering why the podcast cover artwork is different, I am in the process of creating something totally new and epic and so exciting and holding on to this old podcast art didn't feel right while it's being reimagined. So I just put up a temporary podcast cover in the meantime to hold space for all the cool stuff that's to come. So that's where we're at. Thank you for being on this journey with me and enjoy this conversation with Paul. It is so heart expanding. Thank you, Paul, for doing what you do. And thank you, listener, for tuning in and for doing so with an open heart and an open mind. Because the topic of conversation in this episode is psychedelics, there is an important legal disclaimer, so make sure you check out the show notes to see that. All right, Paul, welcome back to my podcast. I am so excited to be chatting with you again. And for anybody who's new to your world, or maybe isn't new, but wants to revisit the origin story, episode 122 is a beautiful place to start because you share how you got into psychedelics, a lot of things about intuition, and how you entered the entrepreneurial space within the psychedelics. Maybe we'll touch on it a little bit more in this episode, but the reason why I'm really stoked to talk about you specifically today is because of the summit that is coming up next week as the moment of us recording this, and also the certification program for coaching in the new psychedelic paradigm. So before we dive into all of these super exciting things, I would just love to know where you're at, what feels present for you today, and what's going on in your life. Yeah, so I currently am in San Diego on, on the outskirts of the, the city up in the, the hills. There's a beautiful walking trail out my back door and garden. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm somewhat at a place of, of rest and peacefulness. And also there's a, there's a lot happening. You know, we do have the summit coming up and we've started enrollment for our, our coaching certification program, which you mentioned. And I'm also working to finish a book on microdosing closing investment. So there's, there's always a lot that's sort of moving and happening. And I find that as long as I have rituals and practices in the morning that keep me grounded, that I can go into my days and not become overwhelmed by the, the level of material, so to say, that is that, 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 that we're navigating. I mean, we're, we're sitting at a really interesting precipice in the in the psychedelic space. The last time we recorded was probably a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. I can't remember the exact date, but there's been a ton of momentum since our initial recording. And there's also a reckoning that's happening with the, the current kind of market and the initial hype and push of investment into the psychedelic space. That's now tailing off and people are having a more honest look at what's actually going to work and what might not be a viable business model specific to psychedelics. And that I think has played into our decision about how we're creating third wave because we really believe that the future is decentralized and that the way that psychedelics roll out will be less so about FDA approval and the medical use of 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 pres- kind of prescription psychedelics, if you will. I think it will be difficult to to jam psychedelics into a pharmaceutical model. And it's going to be much more about these states and local cities that are decriminalizing and regulating really legal psychedelic use and what infrastructure needs to be created for a cultural integration, not just a medicalization of, of these, these potent substances. So I know that was a bit off track, but uh, I, I can't help but wax poetic about what's happening right now in the space. I love that. So what I really, what caught my attention with how you talk about the conference that's coming up 
is it says it's the only conference on non-clinical outcomes of psychedelics, which kind of like caught me, stopped me in my tracks. I feel like there's so much when it comes to the psychedelic conversation that is like you said, is trying to jam it into the FDA approvals, into how business has been done before. But what you're talking about is actually creating a whole new way, not just one that fits into how we have been doing life and business and coaching, but actually creating a whole new way with the plants, with the wisdom that is psychedelics. Is that is that the thinking behind it? I would love to know a little bit more what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, so there's a quote from Buckminster Fuller that I often refer to, which is, you shouldn't try to fix, and I'm paraphrasing the quote, you, you shouldn't try to fix an old system, an obsolete system. Instead, cr- you know, create a new system that makes the old system uh, obsolete. You know, So what we're really looking at is what is that new paradigm, uh, not only for psychedelics, but culture at large, and how do we get out of the mentality of we need to fix what's broken? Now, I will, I will caveat that with saying the, the medical use of psychedelics, the use of MDMA for PTSD, the use of psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression, the use of uh, even substances like ayahuasca for addiction and alcoholism, these are potent modalities to interrupt suffering, to, to heal suffering, to heal disease, disease of the mind, disease of the body, disease of the soul. There is absolutely no doubt about that. And usually when we work with these, these substances, when we work with these medicines, that is a lot of the initial work, is the shadow work, is going into the subconscious and going into the unconscious and experiencing a catharsis, a catharsis of, of these condensed emotional experiences, these traumatic experiences that inevitably every human has faced. Um, now, there are some people who have, who have experienced worse than others. There are some people who have been assaulted, who have been raped, who have been uh, bullied, who have been mocked and made fun of, who have been uh, abused, right? And these are deep childhood woundings that oftentimes psychedelics can help to heal. And yet, once once we once we heal what is in the subconscious and the unconscious, once we go into those 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 shadow areas and shadow materials, the inevitable question is, okay, well, what are we creating with the help of these substances and these these medicines? Instead of looking backwards at our past and healing our past, how can we look forwards at the future and ask what type of future do we want to create and how can the wisdom of these plant medicines inform that future? And I think, you know, going back to the, the quote by Buckminster Fuller, don't try to fix a broken system, create a new system that makes the old one obsolete. The feeling that most people have of our healthcare system is that it's broken, is that it's been bought out by pharmaceutical companies is that it's too individualistic. It's too, it tries to atomize the individual and just treat the symptoms rather than address uh, the root cause. And for so much of us, the, the, the root cause of our suffering is, yes, trauma, and yes, these difficult emotional experiences that we've, that we've gone through. But I think even, even be, be beyond that, it's, it's a sense of disconnection. It's a sense of disconnection to the earth. It's a sense of disconnection to community. It's a sense of disconnection even to ourselves and what it means to be human. And so what, I'm, what, what this new paradigm then represents is how are we, how are we creating a new way of being, a new culture, a new society that sees interconnectedness as fundamental to human well-being and human flourishing? And how can psychedelics catalyze that awakening on a cultural level so that way that truth becomes embodied and represented in every element of our cultural systems, from business to politics, to education, to healing, to to uh, religion even, I would say. Uh, that that is the question that I think I'm asking in, in in representing or in talking about this this new paradigm. The industrial paradigm is in a decadent stage; it can't be fixed necessarily. What we need to create is a new interconnected paradigm, and I sense that these these tools, uh, these psychedelic tools, will be central to that effort. I would love to zoom in a little bit and have you share a personal story with what makes you so driven to hold space for these medicines to be seen in a new way, to be explored in a new way. 
it could be going back to your origin story of how they entered your life, or it could be perhaps a more recent experience with psychedelics and, you know, a specific learning, something specific in how they have impacted your own journey. So what I often point to as a, as a personal story is the early experiences that I had with psychedelics. So at the time of the recording, I'm 31. And when I was 24, I started Third Wave. So about seven years ago now is when I started my professional endeavors in the psychedelic space. Third Wave initially started as a hobby and then slowly grew into a lifestyle business and now is growing into something uh, even beyond that, a venture-backed, uh, not even venture-backed, an angel-backed, investment-backed business. And that all started when I was 19, 20 in college, working with moderate doses of LSD, anywhere from 100 micrograms to 400 micrograms, and moderate doses of psilocybin mushrooms, anywhere from two to four grams of psilocybin mushrooms. And I didn't do those in a, in a necessarily therapeutic uh, container. Uh, it's not as if I took the substance, put an eye mask on, listened to a playlist. Uh, I was oftentimes in the woods, in nature, with a couple friends, hiking and moving and experiencing sort of the profundity uh, that acid and mushrooms uh, elicit when you're, when you're working with them. And one of those sort of profound insights that I came to in the, in the early days of working with psychedelics was was a, a a sense of confronting my own death you know one of these one of the the potent one of the reasons these tools are so potent is because of uh, how they dissolve the ego uh, and how they they interrupt your normal sense of self uh, to create a new perspective so that way you can see you're not just an individual eye but you are part of this much greater web of life and so one on one of those acid trips i i happened to be in tanzania and I took just a hit of acid, so about 100 micrograms, which is definitely enough to have an experience, and was out on safari. And I felt myself while on safari, you know, looking out into the grasslands of the Serengeti and just sort of viscerally experiencing this, this circle of life, if you will, this, this, this web that we find ourselves in. You know, I, was, I remember being out there and watching the wildebeest eat the grass uh, and then the lions looking to catch the wildebeest and the sun kind of beaming down and providing the sustenance for the grass and the energy. And I just saw how all of this energy was connected. The sun provided the sustenance for the grass to grow. The grass provided the sustenance for the wildebeest to eat. And the wildebeest provided the sustenance for the lion to, um, to be at that apex predator level. And then, of course, when the lion dies, its energy goes back into the earth as part of that, that web and that circle of life. And so when I when I was working with psychedelics in these early days, what became what became very real and present for me is that I myself am just an animal, animal, and that my evolutionary sort of biology, these evolutionary biological truths that really dictate uh, my overall well-being, are things that I need to listen and pay attention to if I'm really looking to optimize, so to say, if I'm really looking to become the best version of of myself, because I can't become fully well and fully healthy if I'm not rooted in first principles of what it means to be human. And I think one of those first principles is, I mean, the things like diet, sleep, exercise, right? Being part of nature and being interconnected and woven into nature. But also one of those first principles is community, as I mentioned before, and that we are part of a community. And so oftentimes indigenous tribes, indigenous groups, they use these medicines for initiations. Right? These, they use these medicines to initiate, particularly men, beyond the, the I, beyond the individual self, beyond the ego. And so when I had these early experiences in the Serengeti and elsewhere, I was able to see beyond the confines of that individual self and ego and really ask myself if I could choose to contribute one thing back into the greater sort of wave of existence. What would that be based on the time that I was born into life? And so when I had that opportunity to ask if I could do anything, if I could create anything, what would it be? You know, initially I followed that thread to, to Turkey where I taught English for a year and started my own business. And then the thread eventually led to psychedelics um, because once I started to learn a lot more about psychedelics at the age of 24 and 25, I realized that we had been using these tools for thousands and thousands of years, even sort of, you know, pre-civilization. We had used these tools as a central part of our evolutionary path. And that it was often, it was, it was in coming back to the use of these tools 
that would be so profoundly helpful in helping humanity to navigate really uncertain and uncharted waters, right? We're dealing with a mental health crisis. We're dealing with a climate crisis. We're dealing with an existential crisis. We're, we're kind of at this point in time where there's, there's, there's basically a meta crisis that we're facing as this industrial system enters an incredible stage of decadence. And what I, what I believe to be true was that if I focused all of my time and energy the cultural integration of psychedelics, something that really has never done before, been done before, because even back in the day when the ancient Greeks and you know um, people in Mexico, or indigenous tribes in Mexico and the Amazon and and the peoples in India and ancient India were using these substances, it was often underground, it was often private, it was often um, not sort of mainstream, if you will. And I think it's a whole nother challenge to ask how do we weave psychedelics in so that it's not just accept, uh, it's not just accessible by the elite because that's typically how it's been for the the span of humanity but that it's accessible as a healing modality for any and everyone who wants to use it uh, and that it, it feels like a similar lift as what happened in the enlightenment when the printing press came on board and um, all of a sudden literacy and reading became available not just to the priests but to the whole, entire sort of bourgeoisie that was up and coming. And I think it's a it's a similar lift that we're looking at now is how do we, instead of reading literacy, how do we how do we cultivate psychedelic literacy at a at a broad level or spiritual literacy or or the literacy and the and the sort of way to hold awakenings on a, on a widespread basis. Because my sense is and my sense was when I when I committed my time and effort and energy to this space is that that was one of the biggest, if not the biggest lever that we could utilize to shift humanity out of this meta crisis into this new way of, of interconnectedness. So many gems there. And as you were sharing your journey in Tanzania, I felt like I went on that journey with you. Like I felt it viscerally in my body. And I was also brought back to a journey that I had on a safari where I did a microdose of mushrooms and went on a safari and witnessing the elephant use his trunk to eat this, you know, part of this tree and then being in the presence of the hippos. But then most importantly, the breakthrough that I'm called to share right now is I was on that safari with my husband and our guides. And he was, my husband was saying something that to me like felt so disruptive. He has this like joker medicine in him sometimes he will just come into a room and say something that leaves everybody totally stunned and i used to see it as something that is very uncomfortable maybe even embarrassing like oh my gosh how can you allow yourself to be so big how are you disrupting the whole energy in this room of course you know because within myself there was a part that never accessed such bigness because i prioritized looking nice appearing respectful, all of these like societal things that I've been deconstructing thanks to psychedelics. And in that moment, thanks to the psychedelic medicine, I was shown that the disruption patterns that he creates and that discomfort is actually a portal into presence. So if I just allow myself, it's like this breaking the matrix in that moment to get present to what's important, to come back into our hearts. And I've had so many moments like that where I've been really thinking about something for months or for years, looking for a breakthrough, asking for it, you know, writing in my journal, doing all the things. And then I have a psychedelic experience and all of the answer in a zoomed out version in a very non-linear way, they just drop in and it's like this medicine over my whole body, over my whole being like, all right, I receive. And that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about you bringing this conversation about coaching and psychedelics because I've had some guided experiences I've had a lot of solo experiences and what has helped me hold the space for myself alongside the psychedelics and the great spirit is all the resources that are out there on the internet. You know, the third wave, double blind, just really setting myself up with journaling prompts and conversation, just being in the conversation about intentional approach to it that helps me create this safe space. But having a coaching experience with somebody who's trained in this, with somebody who could expand my ability to go there and feel safe, it's just such a, an exciting thing in the world. And it's it's not as 
emphasize. It's not as focused on, right? When I when I started to pioneer a lot of the coaching stuff in the specific to the microdosing space, right? I, there was an article in Rolling Stone maybe five years ago um, that was a feature on the microdosing coaching that I was starting to do, and I remember a lot of people were like microdosing coaching, right? Like what's the, what's the, what's the usefulness of that? Or, or why, do, why would we need that? And, and you know, the, the, the psychedelic assisted therapy model is pretty well established at this point in time, at least for those who are, who are familiar with the space, you, you link up with a therapist, you have some preparatory sessions, you have a high dose psychedelic session, you have integration sessions, and you usually rinse and repeat. It could be twice, it could be three times, it could be six times with ketamine. It just depends on uh, the medicine you're using and, and, and kind of the, the healing that needs to be done. And this is even how they've set up clinical trials where they have, you know, the therapy, the psychotherapy that's before and after the experience is central to the benefits that people experience. In fact, a lot of the researchers would say that the, that the efficacy of these medicines would be far, far less if that therapy wasn't part of uh, the experience. And I think that the same thing is true for coaching and the same thing is true for microdosing or even mini dosing or even museum dosing, right? Looking at how we work with these lower susceptible or slightly perceptible doses of LSD, psilocybin, could even be Wachuma, things like that, is having a coach that helps you to clarify your intention, helps to clarify your why, helps you to make the right decision about which medicine is appropriate for me right now? Which dose level is appropriate for me right now? How often should I be doing this? Right? What's my protocol, so to say? Do I start with a higher dose of MDMA because my heart feels like it's stuck in concrete and then follow that up with you know a microdosing regimen of psilocybin for four weeks uh, where I'm weaving in a specific practice, maybe meditation or breath work, right? Is that appropriate? Uh, or maybe is it more appropriate to start with ketamine? Because uh, ketamine is fully legal and I can do ketamine infusions or I can do ketamine lozenges uh, as part of a six-week protocol uh, where the focus is on on healing some sort of childhood trauma. And so the, the, the lines of this are interesting, right? Because in a lot of the psychedelic space, the emphasis is on you need a clinician in order to be in order to to work with psychedelics right if you're going into a psychedelic experience you need someone who has years and years of of therapeutic experience you have, you need someone who's a medical doctor you need someone who's a psychiatrist well the truth is the most experienced facilitators in the psychedelic world often don't have any medical credentials the most experienced facilitators are are often shamans who come from a lineage uh, of healers. The, some of the most experienced facilitators would never even work in a Western medical context because the container in which they're forced to work in is so ineffective. And so that's where we have to ask the question and explore, like, what does that new paradigm then of use look like? And I think we, we need to look no further than, than a place like Oregon. Uh, so Oregon is the first state to legalize psilocybin, and they have done so within a very interesting model where um, where they're focused on both clinical but also non-clinical individuals being certified to provide the, the medicine, to provide the substance, because they don't want to keep accessibility limited to clinical professionals. Uh, and so where I often come back to with this is what is central to becoming a, let's say, quote-unquote, qualified coach or qualified facilitator or qualified guide is having experience with the medicine yourself. Just like you would never learn meditation from someone who's meditated, you never learn breath work from someone who's never done breath work. You should never work in a psychedelic experience with someone who doesn't have any psychedelic experience. And so I think the first step is always for individuals who are looking to to step into this path is how can you start to do the work yourself? How can you start to work with the different medicines? It could be ketamine, it could be MDMA, it could be psilocybin, LSD, ayahuasca, wachuma. And how can you start to learn what we call the skill of psychedelics, right? So, um, you know, a high dose of wachuma is going to be different than a high dose of psilocybin, which is going to be different than a high dose of ayahuasca. Uh, a, a high dose of MDMA and a high dose of ketamine, all of these have different impacts. All of these have different use cases. All of these have different effects. And a microdose of psilocybin mushrooms is going to be different than a macrodose of psilocybin. And you might only use a microdose, let's say, um, or I'm sorry, you might use a microdose three to four times a week, but you're only going to use a macrodose 
you know, once every six months. And so part of learning the ins and outs of these medicines is cultivating that skill. And so when I look at that skill, and this is the core thing that we even teach, I would say through our coaching certification program, it's, it's how do you look at psychedelic use as a skill, as your core framework? How can you as an individual practitioner cultivate that skill for yourself first and foremost? And how, then how can you teach the clients that you're working with to deepen their knowledge and understanding of psychedelics as a skill. And so the, the the basic architecture, which I already sort of explained through 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 some of these examples, but I think it'll help with the audience who's listening. The basic architecture in which we think about that is the medicine we use, right? Oftentimes psychedelics all get clumped under, oh, this is a plant medicine or this is a psychedelic. Well, we all know that ayahuasca is different than 5-MeO-DMT, which is different than MDMA, which is different than ketamine. They all have unique impacts and effects physiologically and emotionally and spiritually even uh, as we're working with them. So one, it's what's the medicine we're using? Two, it's what's the amount of medicine we're using, right? Are we using a microdose, a mini dose, a museum dose, a moderate dose, a, a macro mega dose? Right? Are we looking for full ego dissolution, full dying of the self, or are we simply looking for a little... Uh, pick me up a little performance enhancer uh, as we're moving into the space. And then of course, it's the frequency. How often are we doing it? You know, are we microdosing three times a week? Are we megadosing once every three months? Are we megadosing once every year? Right? Maybe we're doing one 5-MeO DMT experience to start with, and then we do four psilocybin experiences every quarter as a way to deepen that practice. And so a lot of training as a coach is how do you teach that skill of psychedelics to clients? Because the goal of a coach is to create non-dependency. In other words, your job as a coach is to empower the client that you're working with to feel autonomous, to feel like they have full creative agency over what it is that they're choosing to pursue and create in their life. And if that client feels confident and competent and knowledgeable about how they can work with psychedelics, that is going to be one of, if not the greatest toolkit that they have access to. Because it is, as we've all experienced you know, in working with psychedelic medicines, if this is done with intention and responsibility, if it's done in a psychologically safe container, if it's done with preparation and integration, this experience can be one of, if not the most profound experience of an individual's life. It can have a far-reaching impact on the trajectory that their life takes. And so it is critical that education and context is provided and that coaches feel experienced and confident enough to make those recommendations correctly. And so that, I think, is the core of really what we weave through in our entire coaching certification program. And it's also why, you know, if you look at most of the, the certification programs out there, everyone except ours is fully focused on the clinical and medical use of psychedelics. And almost everyone except ours does not include a retreat component as part of it. Because, you know, for various reasons, you know, in the MAPS training, MDMA is not actually legal. In the trainings with CIS, CIS is located in, in San Francisco. In, um, you know, there's various other trainings out there. And so what we've really emphasized in our training is the information and knowledge, the theory, so to say, is actually a small section. We have a, a very thorough curriculum, but I think it's actually a small percentage of what people are looking for. What most people want is they want the experiential element, which is why we weave in a six-day retreat uh, in, a, in Costa Rica where plant medicine is legal as part of the experience. And it's also why we weave in a thorough practicum because you can learn everything and you can have it embodied. But if you're not actually going out and actively practicing it and dealing with real-world use cases, then your information is useless. Uh, so much of the so much of the skill that we cultivate through through psychedelics is actually going out and applying it and going through with it and going out into that liminal space of uncertainty and testing and experimenting first with ourselves on what works and what doesn't. And what we've found is that most people who are getting into this space, most people who, who desire to become a coach and work with psychedelics or who are, are already a coach and want to weave psychedelics in, 
what they're really looking for is they're looking for the confidence to do it. They're looking for some of the know-how in terms of the the specifics that we talked about. And third, and 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 I think most is they're looking for a community. And this goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast, how central community is to to the reason why people are being drawn to this. And I think what we've done a phenomenal job at Third Wave of doing is cultivating a community of pioneers, people who who want to create this new story, people who who desire to create the new structure in which a lot of people will use psychedelics, people who want to be at the forefront of this, uh, working in an emerging and exciting space. Those are a lot of the people who are joining this program uh, because they recognize the potential of psychedelics, not only for healing, but also for leadership, for awareness, for elevation, for self-actualization, for performance, uh, for everything that is needed to create this new system that is rooted in, in the truth of interconnectedness. Before we continue, I want to share with you about Zencaster Creator Network, the sponsor of this episode. Have you ever bought anything after hearing an ad on a podcast? I know I have. Okay, this is really fascinating. One of my favorite podcast hosts of all time. Send me a DM with your best guess if you want to find out who I'm talking about. So he ran an experiment in which he stopped doing ads on his show. The outcome blew him away because a massive amount of people asked him to bring back the ads. Turns out product recommendations is one of the reasons people love his show. They know that he only vouches for products that he personally tests and approves. That's been exactly my policy with ads on my podcast, and I've been so lucky to have incredibly aligned sponsors on this show. Here's another interesting fact. Podcast advertising is four times more effective than display ads for conversion. 67% of listeners remember brands they hear about, and 63% make a purchase. If you have a brand or a product that you're ready to grow, podcast ads could be an incredible thing. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster, a longtime partner of this show, now has its own creator network that makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters with aligned content and audiences. Host-read ads, like the one you're hearing right now, are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Here's the thing, you don't need to have an enormous budget. Zencaster has been running pilots and has proven that smaller podcasts, when it's the right fit, can outperform bigger ones in a variety of verticals. If you're interested in sponsoring podcast ads for your business, and maybe even this show, go to zen.ai slash kbp. Zen.ai slash KBP, short for Xenia Brief Podcast, and fill out the contact form so that Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. Paul, I gotta say, I'm just so excited to be in this conversation with you. I've had, a co- I've done some coaching and I've done some mentorship over the years. It just naturally, I was led there. I never completed certifications. I just, you know, I had a lot of my own coaches and mentors and I did a lot of kind of energy and healing trainings. And that led me to being in the leader position in some of the spaces. And a few weeks ago, maybe a few months at this point, I don't know, time is so vague at this point. I had this calling to get back into coaching. So I picked up a book, The Prosperous Coach. It really gave me this drive and saw the possibility of how I can be in my medicine, be in my full expression, and hold this mirror up for people to show them their own greatness, to show them their own intuition, just to remind them what's already within there. It's one of my favorite things to do. It makes me so alive. And since then, I've signed up for a coaching program and you know, really diving deep into the conversation about coaching and how I can offer it in the world. And then when I saw the psychedelic coaching certification program, as I was reading the page, I was like, oh my goodness, like my heart was fluttering so much. So I'm in the position asking you these questions, both as an interviewer, but also somebody who actually is looking at potentially joining. So if anybody is listening in the same shoes, I'm like, I got us. Let me ask all the questions. Let's go there. So one of my questions in that vein is coaching versus therapy and the clinical. We've just spoken to that. What about psychedelic coaching versus 
being a psychedelic guide because anybody that I know or I have sat with, the way that they got into the psychedelic world is through being in a certain lineage, whether that's Shipibo Ayahuasca or something else. But typically there's like, you know, a shaman, a healer who does these trainings that are very much offline and experiential, probably illegal in most places, but maybe not. So how is what you were speaking to and this coaching certification different than the traditional guide, psychedelic guide journey? So that's a great question because it's an important distinction and it's what we clarify with, with anyone who's interested in this. Is This is not a program to teach you how to guide psychedelic experiences. Inevitably, inevitably we have people who enroll who are already guiding or who are already facilitating or who at some point do want to guide or facilitate. So it's certainly something that we touch on. It's certainly something that is covered. It's certainly something that we talk through because it's, it's, a, it's a point of interest. And what we emphasize is the framework that we teach, uh, the process that we bring you through is focused on coaching, which is how do you prepare? Well, first, how do you assess if a client is the right client for you to work with? I think that's always step number one is, is this actually the right client? Can I actually help this client or will they be better supported and helped by someone else? And an important point of distinction then in the psychedelic space is if, if you're a non-clinician, if you don't have any clinical training, and you have someone who comes to you who has complex PTSD, and they're like, hey, I really want your help. It might not be something that you're qualified to handle. right? And yet someone else who's in our network, someone else who's in our program, so to say, will be handled or will be able to handle that. So I think first and foremost, it's humility of knowing what you can and cannot handle and then having a network that's cultivated that you can weave your potential clients through in case there's a, there's a situation that you're not qualified to handle. So if we look at first the assessment, is the client the right fit for you? Is psychedelic medicine the right fit for your client? That's number one is assessment. Number two then is preparing, preparation. How do we prepare a client for an experience? What medicine is appropriate for them and what dose level and what context and what situation? What's the, their intention going into it? Uh, how do you help them to cultivate that intention? And then it's also integration. Right After a client has that experience, how are you helping them to integrate that experience? There are also a lot of coaches that I know who are there with the client during their experience. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are guiding the experience. Maybe they bring in a shaman or a healer or a guide, a facilitator who has a lot of experience, and the coach is there with the guide as well as the client to bring them through that experience in a really beautiful way. So the focus is more so on how do you, how do you assess, how do you prepare, and how do you integrate? And of course, there's so many different ways to work within that, right? Because it's how do you integrate them if you're utilizing microdosing? What are the practices that you use for integration? What are the physical practices? What are the emotional practices? What are the spiritual practices? Uh, how do you assess if a client's right for you? How do you, how do you, you know, delegate them out if they're not the right fit? And yet, inevitably, like I said, there are a lot of people who are looking to guide. And so what we say is the best way, if, if you've never guided before, the best way is to start with friends and family. The best way is to quote unquote trip sit. And I think the only way to really learn how to guide is with mentorship or supervision and to just sit with friends and family and to what I always say is start low and go slow. That really should be the motto of the entire psychedelic space is to start low and go slow, right? That if you're new to guiding, uh, it's better to help guide someone at a microdose level or a mini dose level than take, then give them five grams of mushrooms and, and see what happens. And so I think just as, just as those who are new to psychedelics, should ideally start at a lower dose level. Those who are new to guiding psychedelics should also start at a lower dose level because it just mitigates the potential risk profile. And a lot of what we're teaching throughout the program is how do we mitigate risk? Uh, because these substances are so volcanic, potentially, it's really critical that the way that they are used does not re-traumatize someone, but that instead is an appropriate fit for what it is that they're going through. How would you recommend somebody looks at whether they are meant to get their guide apprenticeship first or coaching? Do you think there's a order to this that is most supportive and any other considerations for, you know, stepping your foot as a leader into that space? Into the guiding and facilitation space or the coaching space? Well, both. Which one would you say is more supportive to begin with? 
coaching is the much better place to begin because it is ultimately a lower risk profile. I think that mo- there, there's sort of like um, there could be somewhat of an ego attachment to being the person who's guiding the shaman, the healer, so to say. There's also a much higher risk profile. There's a lot more that you're responsible for at the end of the day. And so the level of, I would say, responsibility is lower if we're looking at a, a general coaching framework. And so that's a great place to start because 80% of the impact of a psychedelic is the assessment, the preparation, and the integration. Only a small percentage is the actual experience. Because if all of those other elements aren't paid attention to, the experience won't be nearly as impactful as it could be. So for anyone who's newer to the space, who either already has a coaching practice or wants to have a coaching practice, or who wants to be eventually involved in guiding and facilitating psychedelic experiences in some way, shape, or form, the best starting point, I think, is 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 coaching and then finding mentors of other coaches in the space. And this is how we've intentionally set up even our program, right? The way that we're organizing it is every person will be in a small pod with a very experienced coach who has years of working with altered states, who has years of working with uh, you know, people in leadership position, who has years of potentially even working with psychedelics themselves. And so we really believe it is essential that as part of the trajectory of education for an individual that they have that close mentorship and support throughout any intensive program. And that's why we've we've set ours up the way that we have. So how do you think of your approach to the training certification in terms of the balance between Western approach and indigenous teachings from, you know, a lot of the lineage of those psychedelic medicines that they come from? So when it comes to the balance that we're striking between, I would say, like you said, Western approaches and indigenous approaches is we've leaned more towards Western approaches. We have some faculty who have experience in indigenous lineages, but I would say by and large, the orientation is more so towards a Western approach. And that's because when we're looking at creating this new paradigm, a lot of the current, let's say, literature or frameworks or practices are really focused on, are really come from like a Western perspective. I think what is, what has been challenging thus far about weaving in indigenous lineages is the indigenous lineages that are still around, like ayahuasca or peyote or wachuma, they largely deal with healing the soul and healing suffering, right? Shamans are the healers of indigenous communities. And plant medicine, especially psychoactive plant medicine, are one of the core tools they use to heal the soul. And with the orientation of, of what we're doing through Third Wave's coaching certification program, which is less so about healing suffering and more so about growth and performance, the lineage that I often look back to is the use of, of, of kaikion in the Eleusinian mysteries by the ancient Greeks. So it's often said that everything in Western philosophy is a footnote to Plato. And we know that one of Plato's full core philosophical tenets which was this concept of, of uh, substance non-duality, was influenced and informed by his experience at the Eleusinian Mysteries and Kaikion. And so, unfortunately, there's really very few people, I mean, no one around still today who can still carry on those lineages. And so, we're a little bit grasping for what are those indigenous, what are those ancient tools that we can weave in that are really looking at things not so much from a healing suffering perspective, like most indigenous lineages today, but instead a um, growth and awareness perspective. With that said, though, I acknowledge that one of the edges that I think our program, I want to bring our program deeper into, is going deep into what additional indigenous wisdom could be woven in. And there are a few ideas that we're playing with, but it's still, I would say, early on in the program overall. 
Now, when it comes to the legality of plant medicines, let's say after this podcast, somebody DMs me and says, hey, you know, I'm interested in all the things you're talking about, or maybe perhaps at a time when I'm already a coach and I want to guide people into those experiences and support them through having those experiences on their own or with a guide. If I get the question of where do I get the stuff, what is the ethical thing to do? So when it comes to the legality of psychedelic medicine, this is where everyone I think has to do an individual gut check about what they feel comfortable with. You know, what we've done at Third Wave is we've now rolled out a sourcing guide that people can purchase, which helps them to navigate the sort of gray legal landscape around sourcing medicines. We've also rolled out a mushroom grow kit and a mushroom grow course. So you can buy a grow kit from Third Wave that will help you grow your own mushrooms. So again, we really believe that the power needs to be put back into the hands of, of the individuals who are responsible for their own healing and their own awareness. And that it is incumbent on everyone to to make that decision for themselves. You know, personally, I am a, a, a student of the civil disobedience lineage that started with Emerson and Thoreau and influenced Tolstoy, which influenced Gandhi, which influenced Martin Luther King Jr. and Nelson Mandela. And my personal belief is that these tools and substances should not be illegal whatsoever, that it is a travesty that they are, and that I will do everything in my power to ensure that as many people as possible have access to these to these substances. Now, I'm also intelligent about it, meaning I don't sell psychedelics personally. And, and I'm also aware that law enforcement believes that psychedelics are at the absolute bottom of the totem pole when it comes to illegal substances. And we're, we're seeing how that's represented now with states like Oregon legalizing psilocybin in cities like Seattle, Oakland, and Detroit decriminalizing all plant medicines. Uh, even in cities like Vancouver in Canada, there are now dispensaries that are selling psilocybin. And the local law enforcement has commented on it and say, said, we're not worried at all about this. We'd rather focus on things like fentanyl, which are actually dangerous. So I think at this point in time, at the time of this recording in May 2022, there's been enough progress on education and literacy at large that most institutions now recognize that it's actually a, a travesty. So at the end of the day, it, 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 it's, it's about what is that individual willing to be responsible for? What risk are they willing to take? And that's going to be different for every person. You know, I, I felt comfortable coming out very publicly in support of psychedelics because I'm a white male comes from a middle-class family who um, is well-spoken and articulate, and I don't have any kids that I'm responsible for. And I'm also an entrepreneur, so I don't have a job that I'm responsible for. Uh, a single mother of four who maybe still works within a normal job is going to have a lot more on the line if she potentially um, puts herself out there and puts herself at risk. So I think this all it all comes down to checking in with yourself. It all comes down to checking in with what you feel comfortable with and then making a decision from that perspective with an understanding that, again, in places like Oakland, Seattle, and Detroit, in places like Vancouver and Oregon and many other states that are now uh, passing bills or looking to pass bills, the risk profile is lower than it's ever been before. I would love you to give a little bit of a, an overview of when the program starts, where people can find out more. But before we go there, there's one more topic I feel really called to bring up, and that is leading from the heart and how psychedelic medicines can play a role in business, in corporate culture, and in leadership, which I know is a big part of the curriculum. So when it comes to leading from the heart, I really... I'll 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 start in a in a in a slightly different angle, which is there are two fundamental drivers towards effective leadership. One is vision, and the other is teamwork. And what psychedelics do is they facilitate both of these. So not only do they open up the mind, the imagination to dreaming new dreams and to setting and cultivating a vision that is inspiring for a team or a family or a community to get behind. But even more importantly, psychedelics help us to remember our connection to the divine, our connection 
to our community, our connection to the earth, our connection to our hearts, and our connection to kindness. And so when it comes to, let's say, teamwork and how we facilitate teamwork, so much of that is about communication and empathy. So much of that is about feeling the feelings that are coming up and how psychedelics as a tool can help to open up those channels and open up those pathways. Because a lot of those, a lot of people in leadership positions are type A, are going, 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 are always doing, are overthinking. And what psychedelics often open up for them is a remembrance of how beautiful it is to lean into things from the heart, from below the neck, and to follow our intuition uh, as to what what it is that we want to pursue, what it is that we want to create. And I go back oftentimes to Buckminster's Fuller, Buck, you know, I've done this now three times, Bucky Fuller's quote about don't fix an old system, make a new one that, that, that makes the old one obsolete. And I think about this when it comes to, let's say, corporate culture. That corporate corporate culture is it is a, a a remnant of the industrial system. And that it's not so much about how do we fix corporate culture. It's more so about how do we utilize, how can leaders utilize psychedelic medicines to create a new way of doing business, a way of doing business that recognizes all things as sacred, that recognizes all things as interconnected, that recognizes that we have to live in harmony and reciprocity with the earth and with community in order to create win-wins across the board. Uh, And I think more than anything, what psychedelics offer is a chance to see beyond the, the, the sort of singular driving incentive of most business today, which is money and spreadsheets and bottom lines, single bottom lines, and start to see that wealth is much more diverse than just the number in the bank account. That wealth, what wealth is really about is the wealth of the wealth of community, the wealth of our, our connections, the wealth of, of 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 the earth, the wealth of our own well-being, and that the more that we focus on those as drivers and focus less on money and the financial perspective as a single driver, I think that will help to inform the future, the future of business. So beautifully said. So. I know we didn't really get a lot into the details of the training, but I feel like you shared so much of the why behind it and the real glimpse of what you're connected to and committed to. And I don't think we even, unless you want to, I don't think we need to go into more details of the modules. We can just send people to the website. Uh, I'll have all the show links of everything we talked about, including the sourcing guide and the grow kit and the psychedelic coaching summit and the certification program in the show notes. And I know that the summit is coming up. If you're listening to this before May 20th and 21st, you're invited to join. And Paul has generously offered my audience to join for free, even though it's a couple hundred bucks for the ticket. So if you use the code Xenia Brief, which is my name, you can attend for free. Is that right, Paul? That's correct. So what can people expect from the summit? And who is it for? Is it like a taste of the certification program? So within the summit, we weaved in a lot of our faculty who are from the coaching certification program. And so it's a two-day event. Uh, you know, we have people like Mark Plotkin, who's the world's foremost ethnobotanist, Ben Greenfield, uh, Marie Mabuni, who's a medical doctor who was initiated into Iboga at the age of 14, Lauren Taus, who's a licensed clinical social worker and has her own program in the, the psychedelic space. Um, we have East Forest, uh, and we have several other uh, uh, great participants. And really, it's just to have a dialogue and an exploration of what does what do psychedelics and coaching look like when when combined, and what could this new paradigm be as we as we pioneer a future together. Uh, and so that's really going to be the overall trajectory of the the two day summit is exploring things from a non clinical and non medical perspective, and asking the question about how can psychedelics, the skill of psychedelics, help us to to manifest a, a world that is more interconnected, a world. Uh, that is much healthier, a world that is able to address and overcome a lot of the crises that we're we're currently facing. Cheers to that. Paul, thank you so much for taking on the leadership role in this very important conversation. Thank you for sharing your heart with us today so generously. And before we wrap up, is there anything else that you feel called to share in this space? 
that if people are interested in, in, you already mentioned the dates of the summit, the coaching certification program will be available for enrollment until the last week of June. And um, people can easily find that by going to our website. And then if people want to learn more about my work or they want to ask me questions or ping anything, I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at paulaustin3w. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Paul. And I'll see you at the summit. Thank you. If you resonated with this conversation like I did, I invite you to join the Third Waves Virtual Summit, Coaching and the New Psychedelics Paradigm. The tickets are almost $200, but you get to attend for free when you use the code KSENIABRIEF on psychedelicsummit.com. See you there, my friend. If you're moved by what was shared in this episode and not sure how to take action, start by writing it down. When we notice abundance and clarity in all shapes and forms and honor it, it grows. And if you're called to share the podcast with someone who you know is ready to receive it, follow that. Find all episodes, show notes, and current offerings on KseniaBrief.com. Subscribe to Xenia Brief Podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review, and take one deep breath into the knowing that's already within you.